2: Welcome
0: to Broadway Bullet Volume 323 for October 22nd, 2009. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and we've got some fantastic stuff for you this episode. Our first episode uh, since our uh, amazing nymph coverage that we had going on. I hope you caught some of those nymph shows. Uh, in this episode, we've got Diana DeGarmo, who is currently uh, starring in The Toxic Avenger off Broadway, and we're going to hear a song from the soundtrack as well. And she spills some dirt on American Idol. Uh, If that kind of thing interests you as well, we've also got gallery players top of the heap here to talk about their newest show. And uh, they got some people to perform a couple numbers from the show live on our program. We've also got people involved with a new review, Brother Can You Spare a Dime? And we've got Steve Hayes uh, talking about his two person show, Stories We Tell Ourselves. So we got a lot of great stuff here. So uh, let's just jump right on into the program, shall we? Toxic Avenger has been a hit off-Broadway, running for, what is it, about five or six months at least now, I think. And uh, one month ago... uh, Diana DeGarmo of American Idol fame stepped to the show and she's going to be in the show until February. Uh, she popped in the studio to record a radio spot for the show and I nabbed her and said, you want to do an interview quick? And she graciously agreed and she's here with us. How are you doing?
5: I'm good. I'm in my pajamas, so I'm happy. That's why I love radio stuff. <laughs> oh, oh, I gotta get the video camera out. <laughs> no makeup and pajamas is A-OK. I like that.
0: <laughs> so the, f- the first thing is what drew you to Toxic Avenger?
5: Well, um, when the show came across my desk and somebody said, "Would you be interested in going in for this?" What are, what are your thoughts? My agent kind of threw the idea out at me, and I said, "Well, let me do some research because I had heard of the movie, and I asked my boyfriend, and I said." It's a big, like, 85, like, cult classic. Like, what are your thoughts about the Toxic Avenger? And he almost passed out. And I was like, okay, that's a good sign. (laughs) If a guy who has never really been interested in musical theater is so over the moon over a show like that, then I knew that I needed to learn more. And the more I learned, the more interested I became. And here I am today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So is this the first time you've done kind of, like, eight night, you know, eight shows a week, kind
5: of? Well, when I did you Hairspray, um, we did, I was in oh, Hairspray right. for yes. almost 10 months, well. and right. um, it was kind of broken up between, I did the Brooklyn tour in between my two contracts at Hairspray, and so the eight shows a week, it's um, it's definitely something you have to, like, get accustomed to <laughs> after a while, you have to, to grow and get used to, because the first, first couple of weeks, you're always like, oh my God.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
5: but uh well,
0: and it's a rock show, too. Correct? It is. So it, it's I imagine it's also a little bit more taxing. It, but it's, it's,
5: it's good, though, because I'm I'm not exactly a legit singer. I mean, I've done West Side Story, and where, of course, you have to sing these beautiful, lovely notes. And luckily, our show, none of us are hired because of our legitimate vocal <laughs> training. So it's okay. You can just rock it out and have a blast. And the, the show is so much high energy that no matter how tired you are, you're always going boom, 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 boom through the show. And next thing you know, you're done, and you're like, wow, oh, okay, well, that wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's your favorite part of the show? Is there a moment you like hitting every night?
5: Um, oh, gosh. I think one moment, of course, I, I love. Um, I have a song called Choose Me, Oprah, that I sing to Oprah, hoping that she will choose me for her book club. And <laughs> I love it because it's so off the wall, and it's, it just comes completely from left field. The, the beginning of the show, you kind of see that Sarah wants to be a Danielle Steele typewriter. And um, she's always has her little tape recorder, and she's speaking into it. and, and uh, But you never quite expect that song to come up. <laughs> you think, okay, she's going to sing something about wanting to be a writer and whatnot. But then you, you hear me say, choose me Oprah, and the whole audience just cracks up into hysterics.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we actually got the cast album here, so maybe we can play the song. It's, it's not you on the cast album, right? It's not you know?
5: me, unfortunately, but it no, is... maybe the, they'll
0: redo it. The wonderful <laughs> Sarah
5: Chase, she's a buddy of mine, so she originated the character.
0: <laughs> All right, well, let's take a listen to that song.
5: Move
2: over, Anne Rice. Get out of my way, John Grisham. Go screw yourself,
6: whoever wrote Da Vinci Code. And there's only one person I need to make this happen. Some people say that you're divine, so won't you answer this prayer?
0: Right. And the music, of course, is by uh, a guy that a few people probably are familiar with.
5: Yes. <laughs> the wonderful Mr. David Bryan, who is from Bon Jovi and has, I think, the most amazing hair I've ever seen on a man ever. <laughs> He's like these perfect golden locks of love. <laughs> it's great.
0: <laughs> and Joe Petrie as well. Or did I love you. You're perfect. Not changed. Yes. Yeah.
5: Yes. And th- they actually came and saw the show with me for the first time um, last week. And They were so supportive and so awesome, and just really, really proud, which made me very proud that I've been that I've been doing a good job.
0: <laughs> now, I'm just going to guess by kind of some of your style of singing that you were a bit of a Bon Jovi fan before this? Or... <laughs> totally.
5: <laughs> totally! <laughs> I actually saw Bon Jovi play in Nashville um, a few months back In um, yeah, and I totally rocked out like a crazy person the whole show. So.
0: <laughs> hey, where did he find time to? Because he's got Memphis coming out too on, on Broadway and with all the touring that Bon Jovi, where, where did he find the time to do? I
5: this? have nice. no idea. He's kind of a madman, really. But in the two of Them together, it's like they have this chemical reaction that is just really amazing, and um, it is very funny to see Toxic of Interest so totally opposite of Memphis, (laughs) but uh, very cool in that sense. So they're just they're a wonderful team, and I hope they keep creating really cool different musicals.
0: (laughs) All right, so. now I'm going to probably talk about a subject briefly that's that's probably been talked okay. to death. With dun, you.
5: Dun, dun. American
0: Idol. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, I ne- didn't see that one coming.
0: <laughs> what what's it like having the cameras follow you not just on, for the performances on stage but all the backstage things? What is it like? I mean you were you were very young when you you were you were still 17 when the show uh, was 16 on, actually, 16, that's yeah, right, yeah, yeah. I
5: mean
0: that must have been a, a real big, different thing. For, yeah, it was. Pretty I mean, it's, weird. A, it's, it's a lot for anybody, but I would think for a sixteen-year-old that it's
5: weird is a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> it really is because you know you you just you go on. All of the contestants are just they're everyone's pretty much just normal people, and we go out there, and next thing you know, you're being completely followed. Uh, every moment of your life almost is being followed by these cameras, and you're just like whoa what, what who who's this person that's always behind me with the camera, but um it it's a it was an alert it was a learning experience. It was um a, an emotional roller coaster uh, of every emotion you could ever imagine we felt on that show from excited to completely petrified <laughs> and um it was a great launching point for my career, so I wouldn't be here today had it not been for that for sure
0: so your first album that came out. Yes. Now, <laughs> I've I heard some things both ways of that of that was it what you wanted it to be? Well, did you get a chance to at least put out an album that you felt was really what you wanted it no, to be? No,
5: which is the unfortunate side effect of doing what I did um, with the show and everything. they kind of rush
0: it all, right, after They it's, do, it's, it's they
5: really... do, and... Um, I mean, you know, I
0: spend, you know, with people who are even prepared when I produce people's albums, it's, you know, I like to make it a three or four month process, and that's with people who already have their songs written and...
5: Yeah, yeah, and, um, you know, the, that's the one thing that's kind of the... The, the really the only bad side effect of Idol, and it's worked for some a few artists, and the most part has not worked for the others that have come from the show. Um, they they tend to not really listen to what the artist has to say, and they um, just put out what they believe marketing research says is correct for you. Which I think they're finally starting to realize is not working. (laughs) Um, You know, it's really hard because you do go on this television show and you become this kind of reality personality. So when you go into the recording side of it, they still look at you as this reality television show person. You're not really an artist, but later on down the road, we've all slowly been showing people we are actually artists. We're not just people you put on a stage and go, sing, dance, monkey dance, you know? (laughs) And um, my first album was kind of like that I was basically given a CD and said learn these songs and of course it has my name on it so I want to promote it and I want to support it and um, it was done pretty crazily and we were on the American Idol tour and we were on our days off Uh, Fantasia and I were both being flown all over the country to whichever major city we were closest to whether it be New York or LA and recording this album and I actually recorded part of it here in New York at the Hit Factory, which is sadly closed. But then um, the producer was in L.A. and he was on the phone with us. It was really weird. <laughs> but, um, you know, you live and you learn and you get loves. And, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, now I, I'm happy to say that. So, I,
0: so the pro- so the producer of the song even, in this craziness isn't even always there? No.
5: To, yeah. Which was really yeah. crazy. And uh, John Shanks was actually the, the producer and he won producer of the year from the Grammys that year, and and he and I became friends, and he later on came up to me and was just like, I'm really sorry, that's not how I make albums, but, you know, we kind of became the contractual um, people where, you know, the, the kind of IOUs for record labels and artists and producers, uh, we became the IOU people, which is okay, but, you know, whatever <laughs>
0: <laughs> but like I said, since then you've been you've been stepping into theater quite successfully like so I, I forgot yeah i remember that you were in airspray. as soon as you said it i was like yep,
5: I yeah 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 it's way. been a few years um, um you know i've been living in nashville and that's where i base out of now and uh i've been writing and recording my own music down there which has been so freeing it's just it's been wonderful it's been so liberating as an artist to just say, I don't have to, to, to you know, answer to anybody, I can just answer to myself, and if I like it, then I'm happy, <laughs> and um, I actually released an EP called Unplugged in Nashville, which just has a few acoustic songs that I wrote, it's on iTunes and CD Baby and all that kind of good stuff, so it's nice to be able to live kind of this crazy bipolar life, but I'm very happy doing theater and my country music. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So now, uh, the, so the Toxic Avenger is what's on your plate for the next few months. Yes. Do you have any uh, any eyes on any plans yet beyond that, or?
5: You know what? I was actually just thinking about that the other day, um, and I remember thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do next, and I never do. <laughs> I think that's kind of my 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 sort of plan is that I don't make plans. Um, I, I like just kind of seeing what happens and. Where life tends to take me, um, some say that's crazy, which it is, but I, I kind of like it. I like that I never quite do the same thing twice. I always do something completely different from the next. Uh, a lot of people would have never expected me to do Toxic Avenger because it's a, it's a pretty crazy show, and I like surprising people. I like doing things that are a little unexpected. and. Um, I would love to stay with the show as long as I can because I'm having an absolute blast. It's The cast is just ridiculously talented, and every night is so much fun. And you never leave the show going, oh, that just was so bad. Or, oh, all these people died, and I'm sad. Like It's, it's not, not a show like that. every night you leave you're just like, yeah, I just rocked it. <laughs> and um, so who knows what what the next road shall be.
0: All right, well, I wish you the best of luck as you as you go down that road, and I hope you have fun for the next four months in Toxic Avenger. Thank and thanks you. so much for granting this interview. We should uh, cut your commercial now.
5: All right. <laughs> <laughs> Come see Toxic Avenger, everybody.
7: <laughs>
5: on the boards.
0: The gallery players have been on quite a roll. In fact, the past three years, they've taken the Best New Musical Award, uh three years running at the NYIT Awards. And they're gunning for a fourth with their new production of Top of the Heap. And uh, back again, in fact, I think all their winning shows, they appeared here on Broadway Bullet to help get the word out. and So we're excited to see them back. We've got Neil Freeman, who's directing, William Squire, Bill Squire, uh, who wrote the book and lyrics, and Jeffrey Loden, who wrote the music. How you guys doing? Hey! Uh, So first, do you guys want to um, maybe introduce yourselves so people can connect your voice with your uh,
1: name? Well, I'm Bill Squire. As uh, was just mentioned, I wrote the book and lyrics to the show.
7: I'm Jeff Loden, wrote the music. And I'm
8: Neil Freeman, and I'm directing the show. All right. Well, first off, tell us, what is Top
1: of the Heap? Uh, Well, Top of the Heap is a project that Jeffrey and I have been working on for a while. Uh, It's actually, I think, the first show we started writing together, um, and it's a piece uh, that centers on a pair of nightclub comics in uh, the mid-50s uh, who are aspiring to get onto an Ed Sullivan-esque television show and uh, involves all the machinations that are involved in their uh, first managing to get on the show and then the fallout uh, that happens afterwards. All right, so... <laughs> In a, <laughs> In a Is that a little too succinct? <laughs> the show is longer than that. <laughs> so what was the inspiration behind the show? You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, uh, these uh, kind of uh, pieces like uh, Marty and uh, the old Playhouse 90 uh, television programs um, that uh, people like Patty Chiefsky and Rod Serling and uh, Reginald Rose wrote for, uh, the the sort of place that 12 Angry Men came out of. Um, It's that kind of heightened naturalism uh, that was so popular on television and movies uh, in the mid-50s to to early 60s. And so uh, part of the inspiration for writing the show was to see if we could find uh, a musical equivalent of that kind of language and that kind of storytelling um, so we picked something that was naturally set in that era and, and kind of had themes uh, and characters that came out of a lot of those types of programs. And so that's that was sort of what got us started. Uh, and then uh, throw it over to Jeff. Uh, you know, it was an opportunity for a style uh, of music that Jeff excels at, and perhaps he'll tell us a little bit about it.
7: And perhaps <laughs> I won't. I mean, I I love jazz. I love, you know, just... Biting music and this seemed to be a great opportunity to write a score that was both theatrical and had all the elements of, you know, your great 50s musicals and a score that had kind of a jazz sensibility to it. And that's what I tried to do. We'll find out how successful. (laughs) (laughs) So
8: um, Neil, when did this fall into your hands? Well, uh, I, I'm also uh, the executive director of the theater, so I've been involved with our season planning for a while. And I guess uh, I don't remember when I met you back in May, guys, yeah, when we were yeah. first starting to talk about uh, doing this piece. And um, uh, and I, I I read it uh, actually first before I listened to it. I read it over the summer when we were we were looking for a director at the time. Uh, and and I read it, and then I listened to it, and I, I said to Heather, our artistic director. Uh, you know, I really like to do this piece. Uh, I think it's something that uh, we knew it was something that our theater uh, would do well. I, the, the, the Brooklyn setting um, uh, uh, was also a, a just. It, it makes it a great match for us. But uh, I was just really enticed by the by the elegance of the storytelling um, uh, and by the 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 score, which is which is very unique. And what was the word you just use? Punching? Is that what you said? Biting. Biting. <laughs> Biting. Um, so uh, so I, I. It was sometime over the summer that that. I hooked into the project.
0: So, Gallery Players has really kind of taken on like a kind of a big new show each year. What are you looking
8: for when you look to put on a, a new musical? Well, uh, well, you know the strength of the material is certainly the first thing, but we also look for pieces that um, that we think we can do well. And we have a um, a ninety nine seat theater, um, which is uh, which is which is probably bigger than your average off off theater, but it uh, is still an intimate space. So we look for pieces where the intimacy of the of the theater will benefit um, uh, the, the the piece, um, and also for for things that we think technically we can achieve um, and that our our audiences would enjoy. Uh, and I don't. Think I mean uh, the uh, last year uh, like you like it the previous year yank uh, you know the, that I, I'm sure if I thought about it for a while I could I could come up with a lot of things that that tie them together but really we're just looking for strong material that we think we can do well
1: well I I think I could kind of add to that because uh, uh, both Jeff and I saw like you like it last year um, and then uh, the gallery's production of Tommy. Uh, earlier in the year and what appealed to us about both of those productions and that we thought would – our play would really benefit from was there's a – you know, I I hesitate to call it a house style but there's a style of sort of kind of cinematic staging that they do extremely well there uh, where everything flows from one moment to the next uh, without a lot of, of, of hubbub in between. And that was something that's kind of essential for uh, top of the heap. So we thought, well, boy, you know, we can't get into a better circumstance than this. Just on the basis of the two shows that we had seen Mm -hmm. up to that point. So I mean, I think that that is something that's that's something of a signature.
8: Yeah, well, I, I'm sorry. I'll add one more thing to that. I mean, and that's what's been fun for me as a director. I mean, the, the, because of the, the sort of the television framing of the piece and our, the, 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 the setting, the, the frame of the scenery is the sort of, is a TV studio. So we've been able to treat the the moving scenery as sort of um, you know. Uh, as if, uh, how would it be done in a television studio? And 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 that uh, kind of was our hook to to enable this sort of the word you used I think was cinematic mm-hmm. um, means of kind of getting from scene to scene briskly. <laughs>
0: All right, well, speaking of moving things around briskly, I see a couple actors that you brought with you that are, like, kind of shuffling their feet waiting to perform <laughs> here. Uh, they're they're going to perform a couple numbers. Uh, Jeffrey, are you going to play piano for them here? Sure! <laughs> I'm
1: not doing anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you you want to talk about this first number that they're going to
1: sing? Um, well, the first number uh, centers on uh, the comics that I mentioned, uh, Ronnie and Gil, uh, and it's a couple of snippets uh, from some of the um, pieces that they do in the first act. Uh, Ronnie, of course, is the driving force behind the two of them, so uh, the piece that he's going to be singing, uh, Whatever It Takes, gives you a little bit of a sense of what his philosophy is all about. Uh, Gil, on the other hand, has to handle a love story in the
8: piece, and so we'll give you a little bit of a snippet of his love song. Uh, And uh, Ronnie will be played by Kenny Wade Marshall and uh, Gil by David Perlman. All right. You ready to play, Jim? Yeah. Okay. I
2: grant you, it's Chansey, there's plenty of knocks. But better than knocks than stuck up on the blocks. You do me this favor, and soon as it breaks, you know that I'll do whatever it takes. I'm the push and you're the punchline. Ever since back at St. Jude, I was always jumping the lunch line while well, you were busy dumping on the food. I'm the drive and you're the dreamer. And that's a promise you keep, cause it's gonna carry us straight to the top of the heap.
9: We stood there a moment A smile passed between us That look of hers said to me, stay And though I know I should run This longing that's stolen down inside of me Chance, I had to try to make her mine. It may be crazy, but I never could say die. So call it unwise until I see goodbye there in her eyes. I'm not the man.
0: all right guys great job so uh, i know just came in this morning an exciting announcement you haven't even opened yet and you've uh extended
8: i believe yes we've we've added uh, five performances we uh uh, are now uh, closing on uh, sunday november 15th so very excited um selling really well and get your tickets soon so, what is it?
0: What does the gallery players audience consist of? Like, I mean, is it a lot of Brooklynites, or do you manage to convince a lot of Manhattan snobs to like um, <laughs> cross the bridge?
8: No, I think I think we do pretty well getting people from all over New York. I mean, we have a subscriber base um, of, of a, a few hundred subscribers who, uh, who are, are a majority of them, I would say, are from Brooklyn. But um, we tend to draw different audiences for, for for each show, and I think we have um, some sense of loyal followers who aren't subscribers who who who, who who come back year after year, but um, uh, we, we tend to get people from all over.
1: Yeah, I think there's such um, a, a hunger among people who love the musical theater for new works now that uh, they're w- willing to travel a little bit uh, and, and willing to try things um, that they've never heard of before. I mean, I work a lot with theaters up in Connecticut. And we get surprising turnouts for some of the shows that we do up there and have had, you know, sellout runs of things that no one has heard of before. Uh, and it all, it's always a bit of a shock for the theaters when they do it the first time because they don't expect that they're going to you know, do extremely well. Um, you know, and I know at least a couple of carloads from uh, Stanford will be heading oh, down excellent. to <laughs> Brooklyn too.
7: I think there's an excitement building about the theater, you know, speaking mm-hmm. to my writer friends. Because of the quality of the productions they've done and the awards they've been winning, you know, it's become a much more viable avenue to take a work. And, you know, I I had known Like You Like It before last year, before seeing it at the theater, and they did such a remarkable job bringing it to life. And that doesn't go unrecognized. And, you know, it's really... Becoming a very viable avenue, you know, in this hard world, how, <laughs> how do you get a show seen? How do you get it, you know, show the show you want you want producers and audiences to see? Well, now I know um, two of your past
0: new ones, like you like it and Yank, both had their like origins at the New York Musical Theater Festival, mm-hmm. and then I believe they had been performed even regionally several times before you, you know, took it upon yourself to bring it back for another engagement and really give it a proper non-festival staging in New York. Uh, What has been the history behind Top of the Heap? Has this been developed elsewhere as well?
1: Yeah, we actually, I mean, we had a a very limited Nymph showing uh, in 2007, I believe, uh, when it was a Director's Choice Award winner, and part of that was presenting a couple of concert uh, stagings of the show. Um, There have been regional productions uh, of it before this. It was up at the Spirit of Broadway Theater. Um, for a nice uh, five-week run, uh, also in 2007, I think, or 2007, 2008. Um, And prior to that, it's just been uh, developed at a lot of different organizations, uh, both in the city, uh, Collaborative Arts uh, 21 was one, Uh, and outside the city. It's been in a bunch of festivals. Uh, It was taken over to Edinburgh for the uh, musical Uh, festival. Did I say Edinburgh? Oh, oh, well. Uh, They have similar accents. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It was at Cardiff for the musical theater festival over there. Along with Like You Like Uh, It. Right. By coincidence with Like You Like It at the same time. Maybe a
0: lot of people coming from Cardiff to Brooklyn.
1: uh, That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) A couple of Carlos. (laughs) Actually, our music director uh, was over last year for the at fifty nine fifty nine for the brits on uh, off Broadway festival, so they do actually get over here
0: all right well we got a another uh, performance here coming up here uh, if you 're ready to play jeff I am Hollis you ready <laughs> <laughs> you want to set up this next song the
1: yeah concert? this I mean as I uh, mentioned earlier, there is a love story in the piece, thank goodness um, and in the second act uh, uh, the uh, young lady that that Hollis is playing um, is approached uh, by uh, Gil, one of the two comics, uh, uh, who says, you know, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we fall in love? And she says, great idea, but, you know, I think I need to take a little bit of time. And that's basically
8: what this song is about. So we'll have uh, Hollis Scarborough singing uh, the role of Merrill. And then again, singing the role of Gil will be David Perman. All right, you guys ready? Yes, we are.
6: On behalf of every woman in the city of New York. I hope that you'll accept my humble thanks For helping me to start Simply thinking with my heart You know the way people tend to worry seems to come along, you know the way we question each conviction, as if eager to believe the first suggestion that we're wrong, it's comforting to know for once that someone's out there somewhere, sifting every indecision, tracing good among the as is likely to be had I hope one day I'll find the strength to join you but for now I'm glad that you're as strong and clear as here today Anytime. Perhaps one day. Anytime you think you need a shoulder, kid. You You don't need to play. You're as strong and clear as here today.
0: Nice job. And i, I got to ask, what made you make the bold choice of putting a love story in a musical? <laughs> I Not know. It's, <laughs> pretty, it's pretty out there, but uh, you
7: know, we're very cutting edge. Thinking <laughs> outside the box. <clears throat> All
0: right, so uh, Top of the Heap is now running from uh, October 24th through uh, the 15th of November. Is that Correct, coming? yes. Uh, is there a website you can go to get more information?
8: Galleryplayers.com, and tickets are on sale right from the website. And how much are these tickets? They are $18. We think it's the best deal Ooh, in the city. Good God, basically.
1: what a bargain.
0: So, yeah, so that, like, lets you buy a subway pass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Have right.
8: dinner when you're out there. A lot of great restaurants near the theater. Yeah, actually,
1: there are. It's, I was not familiar with the neighborhood uh, before we started rehearsals, and I've really been enjoying exploring the area, because there really are a lot of good restaurants.
7: You're gaining weight. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would
1: have happened inevitably. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and it's it's just one it's just one train ride, and
8: there's not, like, a lot of transferring, right? Just a few stops into Brooklyn. It's off the 9th Street, 4th Avenue stop on the F or the R train. It's really just a hop. Skipping a jump from Times Square.
0: All right. So, uh, Neil Freeman, William Squire, Bill Squire. (laughs) You you wrote down William and then asked me. (laughs) I answered that just about everything. (laughs) And Jeffrey Loden, I thank you so much for coming down. It's our pleasure. And I thank the cast members for coming down to sing. And I wish you the best of luck with Top of the Heap. Thank Thank you very much.
7: On the boards.
0: A new musical review has opened off Broadway, Brother Can You Spare a Dime? And its Depression era theme certainly should resonate in today's climate. And we've got uh, director, writer Bill Doherty, and producer Max Weintraub here in the studio to talk about uh, bringing together Brother Can You Spare a Dime. How are you guys doing? Hey, good, thanks. Great, great thanks. All right. You want to introduce yourselves quick so people can connect your voice with your name?
3: I'm Bill Doherty, I'm the director and writer of the show.
4: And I'm Max Weintraub, producer of the show.
0: All right. So first, before we get uh, start with some other stuff, do you want to give us kind of the basics? What is Brother Can You Spare a Dime?
3: Well, it's a six-person review, two-act uh, mini-musical of the songs and stories from the Great Depression. And it involves, oh, probably, what, a Max, about 25 songs? Right, yeah. And, um stories that were pulled from people's uh, journals and diaries, first-hand accounts of the Dust Bowl and um, what it was like to go through the the crash and the the recovery. And then were actually letters as well from Mrs. Roosevelt, and we pulled a few of those. uh, Many of the letters that were written were from kids who had nothing and were asking for for help from the First Lady of the country.
0: So where did you go to find all these uh, documents?
3: Well, (laughs) most of that's in my... uh, Personal library. I have probably about 50,000, 60,000 records and CDs and um, a lot of information, uh, of course, on the, the, the backbone of it all. I got from that wonderful thing we call the Internet. Um, it was easy to find stories about that. And then there are a lot of books published about the Dust Bowl, including diaries from the Dust Bowl. And, um, and then Riding the Rails, I thought that was a fascinating thing. So we've included stuff about the hobos the youth. and
0: uh. Why did you just gesture towards Max on uh, about yeah. the hobos? Well, <laughs>
4: Were
0: because, you a hobo? Uh, well, no, I wasn't a hobo <laughs> but
4: uh, I lived through that era and uh, I just th- think it's a Bill did such a terrific job in digging up stuff. I mean, music that uh, I had never heard of and such beautiful music. And what's, what's amazing is the audience reaction to this show at they just uh, they just love it, and at the end of the show, they all come by and say thanks for bringing back great memories, because we get a lot of seniors there. I wish my father were here, and he told me all these stories, and it's just, you know, the music is, those days they had great music, and uh, people forget that the music played a big role in bringing the country's spirit up, and you know, we run through the whole era and we we, hand, we end on a happy note. Uh, happy days are here again, mm-hmm. which will probably happen again in a year or two for us today. Hopefully.
0: <laughs> so what was the impetus behind the show? Uh, who went to who to, to get this together?
3: Well, we had finished uh, almost a two-year run of that show um, prior to us. So it was uh, called When the Lights Go On Again dealt with the music from the 1940s, and it was a big success. We sold out nearly every performance that we played yeah. at the triad up on 72nd Street, and after that, I said, Max, which way do we go? We go back or forth, you know, and uh, Max suggested we go go back and look at the 30s. Uh, so it was had nothing to do with the economy at the time because we were in pretty good shape when we conceived it, and then boom. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it kind of uh, eerily timely and uh it has a, it resonates with the audience when in one of the lines in the in the show is when we talk about the the banking situation back then and the the FDIC and uh, the rules were supposed to prevent banks from speculative uh, ventures and usually gets a reaction yeah look what's happening today uh but you know it, it's just a fun show And uh, these, these talented people that are up there are really very, very great, thanks to Bill here. He's got a lot of great students down at NYU who are getting their feet wet in musical theater, and it's great to see it.
3: Yeah, I've been teaching at NYU at Cap 21, the studios uh, for musical theater, for about 12 years. So I get to pull some of my uh, my kiddos in and, and involve them in the show and give them their first shot uh, at an equity position. So it's it's been very gratifying that way, too. Yeah,
4: and I, I'd also like to point out one thing, that uh, I've been getting inquiries from high school teachers. And we've had a number of high school classes, teachers telling me that they're studying the Great Depression in light of what's happening today. And uh, we have a balcony up there, holds about 35 kids, and I said, yeah, bring them down. You can be the kids in the balcony at uh, at our show, and the kids, it, they love it, and they don't, we have to explain to them some of the voices, because, you know, Herbert Hoover's voice doesn't mean anything to them, neither does uh, FDR and... Eddie Cantor and all these other great... But at the end of the show, teachers thank me and hopefully we'll be getting more and more. So it's sort of an educational aspect to the whole show too. So when you're putting together kind of a a review like this...
0: uh how many iterations are, you know, I mean, how many times have you thrown in one song, tossed one out? What has the work <coughs> process been doing okay, together the right that. flow? Well,
3: I'm not going to tell you I'm brilliant <laughs> because <laughs> I wouldn't do that. But you can read the reviews. They say I am. Um, but when I conceive something, I take my time. And um, I get a little nervous sometimes about the process because the way my brain works is I see it as a concept. And I start gathering the material. And I research this pretty Thoroughly, And I had probably over 160 songs to start with that I thought were all viable candidates. And um, I started figuring out what I wanted to tackle. We wanted to talk about the pre-crash. We wanted to talk about what it was like when things got kind of hairy, um, what it was like when all of a sudden the bottom dropped out. And um, people were stranded by the Dust Bowl, and they became migrant workers. We wanted to talk about the hobos riding the rail, the he- homeless kids and, and men and women, and uh, and then eventually how we climbed back out of it. So having those little chunks allowed me to pick the subcategories. But once I had it written, I think I changed the order of two songs. But it was written once it was written, and same with the other show, yeah, too.
4: I, I'd like to point out in light of, in you know, uh, there's one song in there that I had never heard of, and it's written by Woody Guthrie, Go to Sleep, You Weary Hobo. It's a beautiful number, and Bill put it together in a great production involving uh, different uh, different people there and their experiences on the rails. So that's just an example. And then another example... I mean, here these people are in in the depths of the Depression. They're sleeping on smelly mattresses, hobos, and in a camp. And all of a sudden, they're in there doing this great dance. Uh, Who's going to dance with Sally Ann? And really, the, the way they put this production together on stage, it's a small stage, but we always worry about somebody falling off the stage. But they 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 put up a great square dance with a fiddler and a banjo, so it it's a fun show. We're, we're happy about it. So was there anything behind your selection of the triad? I know you did the
0: last show there. Uh, it's it's a different kind of location for, you know, it's almost uptown.
3: Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it definitely gives the new meaning to off-Broadway, <laughs> yeah. although it is just off-Broadway on 72nd Street. But I tell you, when we initially were going to put the last show up, we had a location in mind, and they kind of pulled the rug out from under us at the last minute. And so Peter Martin at the Triad offered us a home for that new show. And as it turned out, they were in the process of renovating. I don't know if you've seen it lately. But the theater is just beautiful. What they've done is made it like a mini Ford's theater. It's opulent, and and, and the renovations have been gorgeous. So it's a jewel box theater, and we've got a nice... Uh, downstairs area um, that's got banquettes and things like that so in case they decide to have a cabaret there with two drinks or whatever uh, it's available we four wallet and we make it just a theater um, drinks optional if they want but then the balcony also has this amazing acoustic value so it's a mini theater located on 72nd street above a turkish restaurant uh, but it's the home of where uh, Forever Plaid started and Forbidden Broadway ran for years. And they couldn't be any nicer. And so, frankly, anything that I do in the future that's on this scale, I wouldn't do anywhere but there because they're such good people. Lee Summers is the general manager, and they bend over backwards for us. So we love that that location.
0: All right. Now, the show runs uh, – now, it has a different running schedule too. Is it just
4: weekends? Yeah, just weekends. Friday nights at 7 Saturday and Sunday is at three, and uh, that that's it. There's uh, tickets are available at theatermania.com with phone number, and I just uh, I'd like to, if I may, I'd like to put in a little plug for you know the writer of Brother Can You Spare a Dime was Jay Gorney, and his wife Sandra Gorney is still with us. And she has come to see the show three times. Jay Gorney's sons have been there, and I, I, I have to tell you that Jay Gorney's son, you know, he, he amazed me when he came over to me and he said, you know, I grew up with my father while he was writing this song, and I heard him, I heard many people sing it, and I've never heard it done as well as Bill Doherty. So, oh. that, that's a fact. God bless you. <laughs> All right. So, and also you have a, a website for
0: the show as well?
3: Yeah, there's a website for the show, and then we also have a website for Thoroughbred Records. If you want to read a little bit about the show, you can go to BrotherCanYouSpare a Dime Musical.com, or Records, uh, com is another way to l- learn a little bit about what we've done and what we do. Uh, it's a, kind of a maw and paw sort of company, but... <laughs> we 've started with a core of actors, and we continue to uh, build upon that and we 've got um, plans to record this particular show there 's a recording of the last one as well and now i 'm in the <clears throat> par- pardon me the process of conceiving a new <clears throat> pardon me let 's start <laughs> <bed. clears throat> it 's too early I should still be in bed i 'm mm-hmm. um, in the process of writing a new musical um called um Island of Hope, and it's uh, dealing with Ellis Island. So we're going back again a little bit further. But this one is all original material that I'll be writing with Scott Davis. And so we're in the process of putting that together, and Max is involved in that project as well.
0: All right. Well, fantastic. Well, I wish you the best of luck with Brother Can You Spare a Dime and hopefully the recession, the current recession doesn't give you a hit. Well, i
3: tell you, we're, we're looking forward to a hit. good run and we're planning on sticking around through spring if things work out. We're looking for audiences and um, and interested parties. And
4: just, just as, as we say in our publicity, this show is guaranteed to chase away the recession blues. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Bill Doherty and Max Weintraub, and best of luck with
0: your run.
7: Thanks for having us. Thank Mike. you. On the boards,
0: Steve Hayes has been on the comedy and cabaret scene in New York for a long time, and he's about to bring his uh, two-person show, "Stories We Tell Ourselves," that uh, kind of mixes up the straight gay paradigm into a uh, comedy. Act that you won't want to miss. And uh, that is running from October 12th through November
10: 17th. And we've got Steve Hayes here with us to talk about the show. How are you doing? All right, all right. This is great. I'm in this little booth and I'm looking at you through the wall. I feel like, you know, a two way mirror, except I can see you. How are you? Good. You, no, you, yeah, you we don't like let I'm... you out for visitation. Well, that's good. You look like a million bucks. I only got three on me. No, no, no. Push it. <laughs> Well, first off, tell us a little bit about stories we tell ourselves. Well, stories we tell ourselves, Tom Cato and I have been working together about 12 years. And what we decided was that we were going to reinvent the old comedy teams, you know, in the 60s. They had Stiller and Mira and Sandler and Young and Rowan and Martin. But I wanted a new angle on it. So our angle has been straight guy, gay guy. What do we have in common? What do we have in differences? So what we'd write is we write 55-minute plays with beginnings, middles, and ends in which we play more than one character. And sometimes we play brothers. Sometimes we're roommates in college. You know, sometimes we're business associates. In this particular one, we met at an AA meeting, and we had – we got along, and we had our own public access talk show about old movies, which we got fired from. So he went into rehab, and I pick him up from rehab and take him back to my own hometown um, where I might have fathered a child by accident when I was a senior in high school, and whenever I get into a tricky situation, my character I break into old movie lines. So I talk to him in in lines from film noir, like, um, uh, in the first place I don't like drunks, in the second place I don't like him getting drunk in my place, and in the third place I don't like him in the first place. <laughs> you know. You know, she was the kind of girl who, you know, her name was McGill. She called herself Lil. Everyone knew her as Nancy. That's Beatles uh, through Raymond Chandler. But I just thought, you know, why not? Why not? You know? So it takes about 45 minutes into an hour and, uh, you know, we we have a really good time, We have a really good time. And we, we do riffs on Barbara Stanwyck and, and Humphrey Bogart and Robert Mitchum and all those great movies, you know, that had that dialogue, you know, Double Indemnity and, you know, Farewell, My Lovely and The Maltese Falcon and The Big Sleep, all those, you know. So, uh, w- what was the process developing the show up? Um, he came over with a pad, and I just started talking. We wrote it all down.
2: <laughs> you know, does, does because
10: that's all really I talked about. Does well, he you know, write really fast. You write really fast, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank God the drugs were good in the seventies. That's why I'm saying you know. Blah, 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 you know. <laughs> but no, we, you know, we, uh, uh, we, we just we're both old movie fans. He's Tom is a real um, aficionado of the literature. He's read all the Hammett. He's read all the Chandler, and I'm a big movie buffs, So we combined that stuff and we just said, you know, let's let's do this as an excuse, put together the show as an excuse to do a send-up of all these movies because we've always loved them. So uh, that's what happened, you know, and we, we went to the Pontine Theater, which is this wonderful black box theater in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and uh, we developed it there and uh, we brought it down here and, and it's been going well, yeah. No, you've already run the show a little bit here. We ran it. We just opened. We opened the other night, and we're going to be there for five more weeks, you know, once a week. Uh, Next Monday at 7, and then the following every Tuesday until the 17th of November. Yeah. And don't tell mamas, 46th Street between 8th and 9th Avenue. <laughs> so I also understand that you just uh you have a role in uh, the big game musical.
2: Yes, I have, a lot of
0: buzz. Right? Well, I,
5: yeah, it's getting
10: a lot of buzz. It's and it it played for almost three weeks here in the city uh, at the beginning of September, and it's now it's making the rounds to all the festivals. It's in it's in Wales now. It just was in Atlanta, and I play God, and I sing three songs, and you know I come out, and there's all these you know beautiful boys dancing around me, and they're Broadway chorus boys in little you know wings, and you know nothing basically nothing. And I come out in this white schmata and look like Charles Lawton and Spartacus, but uh, you know aside from that, that's it's all right. You know, <laughs> I they zoomed in for a close up and I looked like one of those Thomas's English muffins, all those nooks and crannies. You know, but um, it was nice. We shot it in November of last year during the election, so I got to play God during the presidential race, and I got Obama elected while I was in office. So I, I know it's it's you know I'm glad. <laughs> He's sharing that peace prize with me, by the way, mister. (laughs) I don't think he's sharing it with anybody.
0: (laughs) He better. (laughs) Fork it out. So some of the comedy duos that you're talking about from from the 60s, what do you think has uh, caused that kind of interaction to go... Out of fashion, so to speak. I mean,
10: well, I don't know. I mean, I uh, first of all, we don't have the variety shows like we used to. You know, most of those acts came out of Vegas and those kind of situations. You know, and and, and there were there were certain people who who you know originally like Burns and Allen and those people came out of vaudeville. And then um, you had this sort of Vegas opened up in the late forties, thanks to Bugsy Siegel, and you know they all went out and played Vegas. And and uh, it was usually the straight guy was usually the singer, Martin and Lewis. So, you know, he would like, he'd warble a few tunes and then Jerry Lewis would (laughs) around him, you know, and then, and then all of a sudden in the early sixties, we started getting people out from second city and that's where you got Mike Nichols and Elaine May and things started to get really, really smart in that, you know, and they started to bring, you know, intellectual stuff into it. And then, um, with the death of the variety shows and television, the only place that you got this kind of stuff was in Saturday Night Live or those kind of shows. Most of that kind of stuff uh, – so there were people went off on their own and they were discovered and put into sitcoms. But Saturday Night Live is the only consistent variety show kind of format that's run through. So I don't think uh, – just it just – people weren't going to the clubs anymore like they used to. And, and, um, and I – Tom and I is – our, our act is more theatrical than it is traditional – comedy club sort of thing. So that's why we went to to cabarets. I've always, I came out of cabaret in New York. I loved it. Because you could be experimental in the late 70s. I could do that. I'm getting very deep now, aren't I? You're (laughs) impressed, aren't you? Well, I've got your wallet, so don't be too impressed. You're not getting it back either, buddy. So now, do you think uh, things not like often you, ask anyone? what? do you think things like YouTube are going to open up more
2: uh,
0: mm-hmm.
10: potential for some of that kind of? Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm excited about my YouTube show because you know. Oh, you got a YouTube show? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um it's in the process of being filmed now, and within the next two weeks it'll be up. It's called Steve Hayes Tired Old Queen of the Movies, and, <laughs> and I play isn't I, I play of, both isn't that
0: half of Chelsea.
10: Yeah, thank you, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and half the people I went out with anyway. <laughs> anyway, um, so they, you know, they I have this house that kind of. Looks like, you know. One of those old uh, shops down in the in the East Village where you know you just kind of hang everything on the wall, except it's all movie related. And they're going to put me in a corner and let me talk about old movies, which is great. There's nothing I'd rather do. And the more coffee, the better, you know, because I'm better on coffee. I dated Juan Valdez for a while. I also went out with his donkey. Then Juan broke up with me. and The donkey and I went up to Tijuana, and did an act for a few years. And the donkey left me for a mule that would put out easier than I would. So that was the end of that. <laughs> what, have you already gone through three cups in the room there? Oh yeah, yeah. And they run a th- <laughs> over you want a little i didn't spit that much in this one. come on it's right around from westway diner right around the corner so you know it was you know put on the burner around world war ii and it's been on there uh, through most of the eisenhower administration and, you know right so well what are some of the other things that you've been doing recently well uh, i just did <laughs> i just did the best the best musical at the new york musical theater fringe festival I did a musical called "Moisty the Snowman Saves Christmas," by this brilliant, brilliant downtown performance artist comedian named Bradford Scobie. And Moisty is the inappropriate, uh, politically incorrect snowman. He comes out of a bank of yellow snow, you know. And it's sort of a send-up of those claymation Christmas specials from when I was a kid—Rudolph and Frosty and stuff. And he really, he really spoofed them well. And I play Tranny Claus, the transsexual Santa Claus. And um, I got to wear this big dress like Rosemary Clooney at the end of of White Christmas, that big red dress with the white fur around it and these big red platform shoes, which, you know, my ankles. I hadn't walked in platforms since the 70s, but it was all right. I liked it. Then they put on this white wig on me that made me look like one of the King family from the 60s. You know, it was kind of like right out of hairspray. And I looked at myself and, i you know, I looked exactly like Ernest Borgnine in a dress. Somebody said, "Well, I said it look like Marty because that's the one where he plays the butcher." You know, they said, "Yeah, but it's Marty with an I, Marty." <laughs> you know? But it's got a great score. It's got a gr- it's a funny, funny, funny show, and Bradford is absolutely brilliant in it. So I think it's going to move. I think it's going to have a life. I'm hoping, you know, because I, I got a great number in it. Two. Mm-hmm. Now you said you've been doing a cabaret since the 70s. In the yeah. Era. Yeah. Yeah. I started God, I came up. Uh, I, I, well, in the, in the late 70s, um, no man in the city in cabaret was doing what Lily Tomlin did characters. So that's what I did. And that's how I made my name. I did would do like 12 characters in an hour, men, women, children, inanimate objects, you name it. And, and um, all everything I got, I got out of people seeing my work. And um, so it was great, and it was a really experimental time. You could still the cabaret was still, um, it still had reminiscences of of that movie cabaret mm. in the seventies. Everybody got inspired by that. So it was it was it was a little. It could still be a little raunchy. It was still a lot of fun. Now I would say it, cabaret is, is clean. It's all spiffy and spoofy, and but. I guess where you find how it was where and I came up with is in the downtown scene like at the Slipper Room where the new burlesque coming up and the new um and the new uh vaudeville that's developing in the downtown scene now and has been over the past 5 years in fact Murray Hill who's a who's a um, performer um he is or she rather um she's a drag opposite she plays a male. She is one of the stars down there. And she's in Moisty the Snowman. She plays the narrator. Funny, funny man, girl, man, woman, man. F- funny Murray. Murray funny. Murray, <laughs> Murray, Murray. Murray funny. Murray funny. Murray funny. Very, very We love Murray.
0: All right. Well, Stories We Tell Ourselves is Stories We Tell Ourselves. My diction went out the window. Uh, is playing through November 17th. And uh, is there any place they can go to get more
10: information on this? Yes. They can call. Uh, they can go... Um, uh call. they can call or they can go uh, what's w- the f- what, what 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 is it what's i'm from you know you know i, you know, I, <laughs> I still pick up pick up my computer and put it to my ear what do i know yeah. you know I, <laughs> I hang it on the wall uh, they can go to uh to uh don't tell uh, mama's www I think it's don't tell mama dot whatever and they can find it and there's a schedule there or they can go on Facebook to my fan page which is Steve Hayes and they can find out on uh, my Facebook fan page about where I'm going to be <laughs> tonight anyway yeah yeah so um, or they can catch me working 43rd Street on that uh, and uh, 11th Avenue after midnight on most nights but you know I've got to hey you got to make a living right. All right.
0: Well, uh, Stories We Tell Ourselves, Steve Hayes, thanks so much for stopping by. Well, and, thank you. And, and it was a pleasure. Of, best of luck in this and your future endeavors. What a guy. I'm not going to give you your wallet, but thanks a lot.
5: <laughs> Curtain Call.
0: Well, that wraps up Volume 323. Remember, if you want to find more information or links to anything we talked about on the show, you can just go to BroadwayBullet.com and find out more. We're going to be back, and we're the second and fourth Thursday of every month. So November 12th, we're going to be coming at you with a brand-new episode. And uh, until then, thanks for coming along for the ride. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and you've been listening to
7: The hairs.
9: We're starved. So should an audition come up? We are so ready and raring.
10: So Jake Krakowski says my name, and I'm in the can. actually the barfay thing comes from my whole life. People just going, vulture, boggler. So it didn't take
2: much though when
10: you proposed. Um, I'm not yet. Unpackage those things with the audience and explore them a little bit.